as we get started here today and turn to the Gospel of John. I'm going to be reading momentarily from John's Gospel, chapter 17. We're continuing our series that we've entitled Mosaic. Mosaic. I'm reviewing for those of you that were not able to be here the last couple of weeks so that you can be on the same page as the rest of us. A mosaic is a combination of diverse elements forming a more or less coherent whole. So as you will notice, our meme in this area for mosaic, you can see all the different shades of glass. In fact, I I sort of envision this to be like a a, a clear glass. Uh, I shouldn't say clear. Obviously, it's a colored glass. But they all fit together. And because they all fit together, it provides this beautiful picture that we call a mosaic. And here's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about how we as a local church are one of these triangles but we're not the only triangle are we and and the 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 good news i think it really is uh inspirational encouragement is to realize that while we're not the only triangle in the mosaic we're still an important triangle in the mosaic in other words if one of these were gone it wouldn't look right would it if one of these were not connected it just wouldn't be the same beautiful look And so we're not the whole mosaic, but we are a piece of the mosaic in the city and the region that God has placed us in. And we've been making the the connection, and it works that way in a local church too. You all realize that we're a mosaic inside of this room as well. That all of us together are this great picture. But individually, we're not the only picture. You can't do life isolated and by yourself you've got to be connected if you try to do life even with jesus isolated and disconnected you're going to find out that you're going to get hammered pretty good but in connection there is safety and so even in a local church there is a perhaps another limited mosaic or or, or another sense of mosaic that takes place but as a local church we're a part of the grander kingdom work that is taking place in our city and region. And we're an important piece of that. But we're not the only piece of that. And that's what we've been trying to communicate uh, in these particular days. I am finally getting the revelation that the church at large is to be a mosaic. We're not the whole, but we're a piece. And we are, as a local church, unique in fact, we are, in fact, the Lord showed that, I don't know if I said this, I was, I was preaching by the Spirit last week, so I, I don't know what I said and what I didn't say, so if I repeat myself, it's because I didn't listen to the YouTube later. But, but we're as unique as a fingerprint or a DNA strand. That's, a local church should have its own DNA, it should have its own fingerprint. But that fits, again, within the greater kingdom work Uh, that the Lord is wanting to accomplish. And we do realize one church can't do it all. Uh, If we we don't get that, uh, we need to. We can't do it all, and here's the deal. We weren't intended to do it all. That's not my idea, that was God's idea. And what we're intended to do, we should do with all our heart, realizing that there'll be others that God will use in order to uh, express the full kingdom image. So I want to talk to you today. We, we talked about sectarian, sectarianism last week. But this week, I, I, I want to turn the page and I want to talk on the concept of becoming one. What does it mean to become one? And if you have your Bibles and you're open to John chapter 17, I want to read to you out of John 17, the prayer, a part of the prayer of Jesus. As he was interceding, uh, some believe it was the last moments in Gethsemane. We don't know whether it was the Gethsemane prayer or not, uh, but we know it probably was a prayer of his that was being prayed toward the end of his earthly life coming up to the cross. 
And he prays in the midst of this, beginning with verse 11. Let me read this to you. In verse 11, Jesus prays, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, meaning the Father. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. <laughs> now that's quite a prayer right there, isn't it? That, that these disciples that you've given to me, now hear me, he's just talking about these 12 disciples, that you would cause them to be one like we're one in the Godhead. Have mercy. What a prayer that would be. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, speaking of Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I want to stop there for just a moment. Many people, many people get confused at these statements Jesus made. He made a similar statement when he was before Pilate, and Pilate was asking him about his kingship, and Jesus said that, uh, uh, that, that uh, his rulership was not of this world. And we see him at times speaking about not of the world. And many people think when he, when he says that, what he's talking about is he's talking about something uniquely spiritual. And, and I don't discount the fact that there is a spiritual side to the kingdom of God. Absolutely. That's, that's almost self-evident. But when he uses this phrase, not of the world, if you could read it in the original language, it, it actually is, is stated in such a way that what he's communicating is, is that when he says, I am not of this world, he's saying, I'm not cut out of the same cloth as the rest of this world is. I don't do things like the world does. I don't, I don't operate like the rest of the world does. I'm cut from a different cloth. In other words, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. So in other words, I'm here in full manifestation in the flesh, but I don't operate the same way the world operates. So when he begins to pray and he says that they're not of the world, there was in no way he was assuming that they were going to become these disciples, as we used to say, who were so heavenly minded they were of no earthly good. They were in the world, but they're not of the world. Hear me now, we are in the world, aren't we? But we got to get this revelation. We don't do things like everyone else does it. We're not cut out of that same cloth. All right? So I do not pray, he goes, that you should take them out of the world, there you go, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth i do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word now here's where he transitions because he's praying for the original 12 let's say disciples or he's praying for the original group but now as he's beginning to intercede he looks beyond the original group and he says i'm just not praying this prayer for these guys that hung out with me but now i'm praying for these guys that are going to come after me and after them here, I'll make it real simple. He's praying for you and me too. You, you, you and I are in this prayer. All right? That they all may be what? Say it again. May be what? One more time. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Now, see, there's an evangelism component in this oneness. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect or complete in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me 
and have loved them as you have loved me, becoming one. I know I know I read a lot of scripture these days, but I figure we're in church and it's a good place to read scripture. We need to hear the word of the Lord. Becoming one. Now, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he asks for several things, interestingly, as he prays. He prays and he asks that they'd be protected. He prays that they would be strengthened. He prays that they would be sanctified. Remember that word, sanctified by the truth. What that means is he's praying He's praying for the disciples and for us that they would be uncommon. Holiness or sanctification, very same word, uh, is, is, I, this is how I explain it. The opposite of holiness is not sin. The opposite of holiness is to be common. The opposite of sin is actually righteousness. Righteousness and sin are antonyms. They're opposites. The opposite of of holiness is to be common so this is what he's praying he's saying lord i am praying father i am praying that you would work in them so that they would be uncommon in other words that they wouldn't be like everyone else that there would be a distinguishing feature in their life that would make them uncommon in the earth you and i were never built to be common or ordinary there's something about our lives that should be and has been prayed for by Jesus to be different. And he says, this is probably one of the distinguishing marks of uncommonness, and that is we would be one. Boy, that would be uncommon. We, listen, in our nation right now, we are so alienated and isolated. We are isolated politically and alienated politically. We are alienated in our churches. We are alienated in, on every front. We're alienated in our marriages. I mean, and I know there's probably divorced people here. We're not picking on you. We realize that there are reasons that the, the marriage has, to, that has to, to, to fall apart or to be broken and to be divorced. So we're not picking on anybody. God can redeem all those things. So don't misunderstand. But we motor along divorcing. We motor along in disunity without much thought of it anymore. And so when he prays that his people or his church be one, he's praying something incredibly uncommon. Now, if you read the Gospels, it's no surprise that he prayed that way for his disciples. As you'll recall last week when we were talking about sectarianism, you'll remember that the disciples were as sectarian as anyone as they tried to stop people who weren't walking with them from delivering people who were full of demons. Remember that? Lord, we stopped him because they were exercising a demon in your name, but they weren't with us, so we stopped him. <laughs> How smart are you? I mean, they're trying to help a person get rid of a demon, and because they weren't in the group, they thought they couldn't do it. So they had, they had all kinds of sectarian ways. They argued over position in the kingdom. You remember James and John arguing? Uh, Mom got in there first, I think, trying to lobby Jesus for positions. And so they were lobbying for positions in the kingdom. You remember that? You remember, you remember how they were with Samaritans and with Gentiles? Let me tell you, when Jesus prayed for those original guys that were around him, they had their sectarian ways as well. But to accomplish the mission and the purpose, Jesus says and prays that they would have to be one. In fact, they would have to be one like the Godhead is one. And if that's some small insignificant request, uh, I don't know, I don't know of, of what could be any greater than that. Uh, he was praying, Lord, as, as, as we work within the triuneness of our existence, I want them to work the same way. You know, I, you never ever, I, I imagine things. Can you imagine right now God the Father looking at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and saying, hey guys, come, come here now, Let, we gotta, let's take a vote on what we should do this week because we want everybody on the same page i mean think about oneness think about think about how the godhead moves and flows in oneness uh, we know there is a type of authority there's there's a kind of authority that exists within the godhead because jesus said i could do nothing 
And I can speak nothing unless I hear the Father say it. And we know that he told us that when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit's job uh, was to exalt Jesus. So there is this, this yieldedness and submission and work within the Godhead that takes place that, that gives them this sense of oneness. And I suppose it would be interesting to just meditate and talk about that uh, for a good long while. But he's praying that his disciples and those that would follow would, would get this revelation that we were meant to be one as the Godhead is one. And here's, here's the part that really kind of hits me in a deeper way. How many of you know that when Jesus prays, he gets his prayers answered? <laughs> now you and I may wonder why we don't always get our prayers answered, but I'll guarantee you Jesus gets his prayers answered. So as he's praying this thing, we have confidence to know that somehow or another it's going to work out that that manifestation of oneness will eventually take place. And so Jesus prays that they may be one. And if you think the original disciples had difficulty receiving that and maintaining that, how many of you know it would be challenging for those of us who are living these days to embrace all of that? Now, let me just share with you now what Jesus was not saying. I think we can get to what Jesus was saying a little bit easier if we first sort of got off the table things that he wasn't saying. Jesus was not saying that he's praying that all of us join the same organization. That's not what he meant by one. He wasn't suggesting that, that all of us had to be under the same label or in the same organization. How many of you realize that, that our relationship with God is, is not organizational, it is relational? Now hear me, that's not to say that organization isn't a feature of certain aspects of all of our lives and our walk with God. There's a little organization here. There was some organization, didn't it? It took a little organization, didn't it, Brad, to kind of bring about a worship service. It took a little organization in order to kind of put a service together. So the Bible could be taught. It took some organization. It took some organization, I'll bet, for you to kind of figure out your day and when you're going to do your devotions and when you're going to pray and, and, and all of these kinds of things. It takes organization. Organization in and of itself is not evil. Organization becomes a distraction and potentially evil when it becomes our relationship. I'm related to the organization. I'm related to the workings. I'm related to the structure. Not related, I mean, you may say you're related to Jesus, but the fact of the matter is, is that your relationship exists within an organization. He is not saying that there will be one organization. As a matter of fact, there are indicators in the scripture that when a one world religious organization comes out, it will not be from him, it will actually be from an antichrist. So, he, this isn't what he's saying. He's not saying, let's get them all under the same label. Jesus was also not saying that oneness meant that we would be a single, uniformed people in our practice, our style, or even our emphasis. He wasn't saying that. The best way I can describe this is using really a biblical illustration. The church at Jerusalem was absolutely nothing like the church at Antioch. Those were two of the earliest churches that we're aware of in the book of acts the church at jerusalem actually had at its core a very jewish flavor to it we would expect that in fact if you'll read through the book of acts you will see that the disciples at first are still attending jewish services while they're beginning to form these relationships out of the day of Pentecost and, the, and a couple days later when 5,000 families were one to the Lord, as they're beginning to, to form some support system for all these brand new Christian believers, you see early in the book of Acts that they're still going and participating in temple services. So the church of Jerusalem had this great Jewish flavor to it still. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's why... When the issue of circumcision came up, there was such a stir in it all because there were, these, there were these very concrete Jewish roots that were still existing at the church of Jerusalem. Hear me when I say this again, nothing wrong with that. They were still honoring Jesus. They were 
They were exalting his name. They understood the place of the cross. They understood the place of the symbolisms now of the old covenant. And, 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 and there was nothing wrong with them participating within that. But then you get to Antioch. Antioch's really interesting. Because at Antioch, the Spirit of God descends, and he, out of this Antiochian expression, begins to win Gentiles into the kingdom. And so Antioch primarily is a Gentile church. I'm off the beaten path of my notes right now. Is this okay? And um, at Antioch, these guys knew nothing of Jewish rituals. They were just, so to speak, flying by the seat of their pants in this, in this new expression. And Antioch, if, if, if I could compare it, Antioch was sort of like a charismatic church. I mean, from what we can gather from Antioch, there were these outpourings of the Spirit there would be prophecy that would take place. There was spontaneous worship and singing. There was this unbridled joy. I mean, it was, it was really an off-the-chart, off-the-chain expression of, of Christianity at Antioch. But, and, and you know the story. The story is that word gets back to Jerusalem, what's happening at Antioch, and what happens? They have to send Barnabas to go check it out and figure out, is this the real deal or not? Why is that? It's because they weren't doing the same practice, style, or emphasis that was going on in Jerusalem. Could they really be like us when they don't act like us? They don't worship like us? I mean, it's totally different. Are, can you really be like us? And Barnabas went down, he checked it out, he came back, he said, Boys, it's the real deal. So while it might be my preference that everyone be Pentecostal, the fact of the matter is not everyone has to be uniformed to my preference. I want to say this in another way. Just because I don't look Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Methodist or Baptist doesn't make me a heretic. Bible says no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, you just heard me say, Jesus is Lord. Now, your preference may not be what we do here. Here's the good news. I'm one piece of glass. Our church is one piece of glass in a mosaic. You can go find another piece of glass. But you still need my piece of glass. So he was not saying that we're going to be uniformed in our practice, style, or emphasis. But I've said this for years. Bishop knows I've said this for years. When I go into meetings where a great part of the body is represented, uh, I'm happy at times to yield some of my practices for the sake of oneness. I'm happy to do that, actually. What really kind of sometimes rubs me wrong is when people aren't willing to eclipse their sense of control by allowing brothers who are actually Christians to practice their biblical styles or emphases. Amen. Number three, what he was not saying was that he was asking for what I call this passionless ecumenicism. Ecumenicism, that's probably, I got to get it right. Ecumenicism. I told you, don't, didn't I not? You come here long enough, you'll get a whole new vocabulary. What this means is, is, is he wasn't talking about there was going to be this oneness gathering and all of us kind of drop to the lowest common denominator where we're passionless, passionless where, where there's no fire, there's no zeal, there's no life. Jesus wasn't saying that. Jesus wasn't saying, okay, when you all gather together and be one, act like a deadheaded mainline denominational person. That's not what he was saying. You understand there's, there's going to be passion in the life of God. These are things Jesus was not saying. In fact, most of the times when we gather, oneness is usually an attempt of the flesh. Oneness has to be by the Spirit. The great charismatic renewal and outpouring back almost 60 years ago now was interesting because nobody was trying to do this. Nobody was... was 
controlling it. Nobody was directing it back in the early 60s and as it flowed into the 70s. But it's interesting to me that when God poured out his spirit in the charismatic renewal, God was really indiscriminate with where he dropped that movement. I mean, he dropped it in a... In fact, it started, for those of you that don't know, it started in an Episcopal church in California. But God was dropping his spirit on Episcopals and Methodists. There were born-again Catholics that were receiving the Holy Spirit. Baptist folks received the Spirit. All sorts of denominations received the Spirit. In fact, some of the first critics of the outpouring of the charismatic renewal were not mainline denominations, but were actually Pentecostals who had more trouble with the outpouring upon denominational folks because the Pentecostals always thought they were the only ones that had the Holy Ghost. How could, that's what they were saying, how could an Episcopalian be baptized in the Holy Ghost when we're not even sure they're really saved? That's what Pentecostals would say. And they struggled with it. They struggled with new revelation. They struggled with all of these things until finally many of the Pentecostals finally got the revelation and they awakened and began to see, you know what? God was dispensing His Spirit indiscriminately. And even at the very inception of the great charismatic renewal, God was doing His best to pull people from the various glasses of the mosaic and bring them into oneness. And the thing that joined them together was not their perfect doctrine, but it was their experience that came from an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't be farther in doctrine from some Catholics and some, uh, uh, some uh, Reformed Presbyterians. I couldn't be further in my doctrine from some of them. But here's the deal. Their doctrine is derived from Scripture. My doctrine is uh, derived from Scripture. We may not agree on every single point, but of the Spirit we are agreed. That's why oneness is of the Spirit. The glue that keeps us together, the only glue that can keep us together, is the Holy Spirit. If we think doctrine will keep us together, I will assure you somebody will find some little bitty thing that they disagree with their brother on and that'll be enough to say, well, he's not like us. You know, he believes in the pre-trib rapture and and I believe that we're going to be in the tribulation for at least a day or two and then we get raptured. So we can't fellowship anymore. How silly are we? But this is one of the reasons why we need another outpouring. If Jesus' prayer is to be fulfilled, we're going to need another outpouring. I think that's what God's trying to tell us on Tuesdays. That for this, for Jesus' prayer to be fulfilled, and I will assure you, it will be fulfilled. And here's the deal. If you don't want to be a part of it, you don't have to be a part of it, but it won't stop God from doing it. This is the amazing thing about God. He doesn't really care about you or me in the sense that we have some particular requirement that he must adhere to outside of his word i don't like what's going on well the lord says don't like it see you later because it's not about fulfilling your preference it's about you crucifying your self-will and stepping into what god himself is up to now i'm going to talk for just a moment on what i've entitled the bases of our unit of our oneness or unity this isn't like this is this isn't bases like in baseball this is bases like the plural of basis i had to actually look that up it's sad because <laughs> the first time i saw that i thought this has nothing to do with baseball the bases what's the bases of our oneness there are three foundations of of our oneness the bible i the bible speaks of three things that showed up on the day of pentecost where we begin to see these things take place but we can find all through the scripture the first thing is the basis of our unity is that we must be in one accord the word accord actually means agreement i was i was running down the etymology of of accord one accord and it actually you if you follow it it follows itself into music where it actually means harmony. Harmony. Now, how many of you know, I play the guitar. And on the guitar, 
you know, there are six strings. There are some guitars that have 12 strings. So let's just believe it's a 12-string guitar because that seems more biblical, doesn't it, to have a 12-string. So let's say it's a 12-string guitar. And all of those strings make a different sound, do they not? Those strings are not the same. They're not tuned the same. They have different sounds. And yet, and yet when the master puts his hands on the fretboard and begins to play the guitar, there's this beautiful sound that comes out of the guitar because the different sounding strings begin to produce a harmony. They come into one accord. I think that's the best illustration to explain how oneness happens within the life of a church. Now let's just, let's just bring this back down to a local church before I get to city church again, a local church. Every one of you in here is a different string on a guitar. You aren't playing the exact same note as someone else. You are different. You sound different. You love the Lord now because you're on the guitar. You love the Lord. But it's different. But yet when we're at one or in one accord or in agreement, when God plays us and that sound comes forth, it's a sound that the world can begin to hear because there is a harmony that exists even in different people. Are you following me? It works that way in a city too. We're all playing a different string by way of being a local church, but when all the strings come together and the master lays his hand to the fretboard, there's a sound of harmony that comes out that the world begins to hear and they begin to know. That's the sound of heaven. So our oneness exists first in being in one accord. The second one is to be of one heart. Now, as I was just praying and, and meditating and asking the Lord to kind of give me some understanding in this area, listen, the only person that can give us all the same heart is Jesus. We know in the scripture, Ezekiel said that he would take out our stony heart and put in a heart of what? Flesh. That he would do this for his people in order that the heart would be responsive to God, in order that the heart would be yielded to God, in order that the heart could hear from God. Listen, if we're of one heart, what that means is, is that our unity doesn't exist with hard-hearted people. It exists with people who are of the same heart that Jesus provided inside of us. In other words, my unity does not exist in the church with those who don't know God. That's not where I'm linked to. I am linked. Hear me. Now, I, I evangelize them. I love them. I reach out to them. But my heart, my heart is knit to those whom Jesus has transformed. And whether they're in my corral or not, I'm still at one with them. Now, you may not like this, but if let's just stipulate in this room. We'll just stipulate it. Everybody here has been transformed by God. You've had a heart transplant. Your heart, your heart is His. Everybody in this room is connected in one heart because of what God has done in that heart, not because they're your preferential liking. That's what he means by one. And then finally, he says one mind. And I believe the, one, the only way we can be of one mind is when all of us are renewed by the word. In other words, the word renews the mind. Therefore, our unity is not based on anything else besides the word of God. If we can do that, we will make one sound that the world can hear. This enterprise we call the church isn't about us. It isn't about leaders. We learned that at the church of Corinth. But it's about the work that the Lord is doing in his church to reach a lost world. It is about the glory of God in the earth. No one local church will ultimately uh, shake a large metropolitan region. But a city church, which is one, can lead that region to the cross. Did you hear me when I said that? No one church will shake a metropolitan region. But a city church, which is one, can lead that region to the cross. If cities are to be shook in New Testament fashion, this is no longer an option. This is no longer just Bishop Fred's deal. 
This is life and death for our communities, for the survival of our nation. It hinges on whether or not we can be one. But the question exists, but how? Where does this start? What does it look like? And how is this going to come to pass? Well, the easy answer is this. And I say easy, oh, that it were that easy. Revival. Revival always bursts the revelation of oneness. You can look at it through history. Every time a historical revival took place in history, there was a sense of churches gathering. Always. You, you see Whitfield and Wesley, who were diametrically opposed in some of their doctrine. One was Arminian, one was a Calvinist, and yet, even though they had their bumps, they worked together in the First Great Awakening. You have... Uh, Uh, The other awakenings, you have the awakening that took place here in Charleston, which was the well or the birthplace of the third great awakening, happened at a Presbyterian mission, but it spread out across the Charleston region in Episcopalian churches and Baptist churches. In fact, the testimony is every church for a period of time was filled in the Charleston area. The third great awakening went up to a Dutch Reformed Church in New York City, it spread out. Finally reached the the woods of Kentucky where Brad, he was reading a book and sharing it with me there in the the woods of Kentucky, the great Cane Ridge Revival. He was talking about Presbyterian pastors and Methodist pastors and pastors of all different backgrounds would stand up at the camp meeting and begin to preach. Whenever revival shows up, God immediately causes His people to come together as one. I'm telling you, it's a key feature. It really is the easiest way to get there. But how many of you know when I use the term easy, it's not that easy? No, no, no. Revival has price tags to it. It has price tags to it. So what does one look like? I'm going to give you some things, and you can apply this to your own life amongst the tribe that's here in our local church. And how we begin to deal with one another locally here in this building, in our church. It'll, it'll apply to this and it will apply broader to the broader body of Christ as well. And uh, <laughs> this came to me like this, so I believe it was the Holy Spirit that brought it to me. And you're going to begin to see uh, how this will be, I think, easily remembered about how we become one. First is this, we attach and not attack. We attach and not attack. Why is it that the saying even exists that we shoot each other? We are the best at shooting one another. Why, what does that saying exist? Why? We've got to break out of attack mode. Now, I, I'm not suggesting... And this is what's hard. What's hard is when there is heresy, there's such heresy and error in the land right now. I mean, we have all sorts of technology, television, that can disseminate error instantly. People can write a book, it can be on the Times bestseller list, and all of a sudden, hundreds of thousands of people have in their hands error. Listen, I'm as frustrated as the next person that that is America. Welcome to America. I'm not suggesting that, that we let error and heresy go. I think there are ways that that has to be dealt with. But the spirit that we have to get a hold of is this. We got to quit attacking one another. Now, now, I raise my eyebrows at things people do. Maybe you raise your eyebrows, but that doesn't instant, a raised eyebrow is not the sound of an attack. You might not understand it. You might have some questions about it, but we got to quit attacking one another. I've said this, we're living in an era that if things continue to go the way they're going, we're going to either have to be friends with each other or or we're going to be slaughtered. I said the early church, the reason the early church got along so good for so many years is because it's hard to attack somebody when you're sitting in the same catacomb as they are. And that's what God will do to America. He'll put us all in the catacombs again, and then we'll learn to get along, won't we? If we don't learn it now, I guarantee you, there'll be a way he'll teach it to us. We are attached. 
I have brothers. I have sisters. You are my brother. You are my sister. Hopefully, I'm your brother. I'm not your sister, though. I'll tell you that right now. We are attached. How are we attached? Because we all have the same daddy. We've all been baptized with the same Holy Spirit. We've all been redeemed by the same cross. There may be some things you'll say, well, Pastor Baird, I hear you preaching it, but I'm going to kind of study that some more. So if you don't mind, I'm going to study it. It's fine with me, but that doesn't mean you attack. We are so good at attacking. We have got to stop attacking one another. Our enemy is not the church down the street. Our enemy is not the big name preacher on television. That is not our enemy. We are attached to some of these people. We got to get that in our heart. There are some people who think that's their ministry. They have the ministry of attack. God has called them to attack. Now, there are reasons to attack, but you better be sure you know who and what you're attacking and why you're attacking it. We're just attacking everything these days. Stop the attack. That's how we're oneness. That's how it begins to look. Don't it, listen, if you're worshiping with brothers and sisters here, your first inclination to your brothers and sisters in this room is not to attack them, but to say, I'm attached to them. It's, it, it's, it, it's like you getting mad at your hand and putting your hand on the ground. And I'm, I'm too big now to be able to do this, but it's like if I could put my hand down and just start beating on my own hand or biting my own finger. I'll show them. There, take that. How stupid does that look? About as stupid as we do when we attack each other. Number two, we see a brother and not a bother. God spoke to me about this, and God willing, for the rest of my days, I'm going to do my best that if I see a brother who is in need, now when I say brother, I'm, I'm talking, at, for me, a, past, a pastor brother in need. It doesn't discount other brothers that may not be pastors but i'm just telling you how it's applying to me if i see a pastor brother in need he is no longer going to be a bother but i'm going to do whatever i can to help i may not be able to do much but i'll do whatever i can when when i'll just tell you a story when legacy was six months old we were only six months old i've never told the story never told it you're going to hear it for the first time we were six months old and there was a need that I was hoping that could be fulfilled by, a, by another brother in town. And uh, if anybody knows me, knows I hate, I hate asking for help anyway. That's not my disposition, but I was just at a place that I thought I'd reach out and ask. So I reached out and asked. It was hard enough, it was hard enough to catch up and get a meeting. But then when I got... The meeting, it was basically, I, I, I don't want anything to do with you or what's going on. I was a bother. Now, I'll just say this. I probably should have learned this 15 years ago, but praise God, he's patient and long-suffering with me. But my brother is no longer a bother. Your brother shouldn't be a bother. That's why we're in relationship. That's why, that's why we're one. These are brothers and sisters. Number three, we complete and not compete. The mosaic is a completed picture. As you'll recall, remember the picture? It was complete. We are completing one another. I need, I need my brothers, I need my sisters, I need other local churches, I need them. And here's the deal, they need me. They may not want me, but they still need me. We complete each other, and we don't compete with each other. It's like when you're one in a marriage, you're not competing with each other, you're completing one another. It's a very important concept. I'm not competing with some, some mystical prize that you get if you somehow get more people to sit in your seats than someone else is receiving at their local church. That's, that's, there's no prize out there for that. The prize is obedience. The prize is hearing the statement, well done, my good and faithful servant. Have you done what God has asked you to do in the city or the region that he has placed you in? Churches must stop wooing 
continually everybody's members. We're not doing evangelism. We're just doing transitions. We're competing with each other for some reason that just needs to be crucified. We complete one another. And we're going to try to begin to mirror this, image this, and demonstrate this. Maybe Tuesday nights will be one of those places. I don't know. I'm on this learning curve myself. But I honestly believe if, this, if we are serious when we say the words, God wants to send revival to Charleston. God wants to win Charleston. Charleston needs to be shook with the power of God. I'm here to tell you we're a part of that, but we can't do it all. We defend and not defile. When another church comes under attack or when one of or when one of our brothers or sisters comes under attack even in our own local church do we defend or do we join the chorus in their ruining Our first response should be to defend If we have known them and walked with them and they have had a good testimony and they have come under attack then we need to defend and not join the chorus of saying, well, I don't know, you know. And you cut them out, you cut them off and you hang them out to dry. I'm telling you, we're living in an era where the truth, that's what Jesus said when he prayed, did he not? In John 17, he said, they've been sanctified by the truth. I've given them the truth and the world hates them. And listen to me, there's going to be moments, and for those of you that have walked with me for a while, you know this to be true. And those of you that don't know me as well, I'll just, I'll let you in on this little secret that I have no problem with telling the Philistine media of our current age the truth. If they want to come interview Pastor Baird, I will look at the media and I will, I know they're Philistines, they can't be trusted, most of the time I'm misquoted, they'll edit whatever it is I have to say, many of you know that, but I will speak to the Philistines because someone needs to speak to the Philistines, but hear me when I say this, there will be times... People will say, that Pastor Baird, he's hard and he's harsh and he says tough things. And here, I'm just telling you, don't cut me loose. Don't throw me under the bus. Why not try defending? Because I have to defend some of you. When people call me up and they say, did you know someone said this to me? And what do you want me to do? Say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we'll throw them under the bus. No, you don't do that. I know, I know them. I've walked with them. I stand with them. We've got to learn how to do this. We've got to learn to do this locally. We've got to learn to do this citywide. Amen. Number five, we enjoy and not envy. Are you kind of getting this now? A, B, C, D. Let me show you something here. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Man, that's true. Through the years, even at Legacy in our local church, through the years, not all the time, but through the years, we have, we, I know we've had issues with people who've been jealous of one another. It's hard to deal with it because people won't come clean. Oh, no, I mean, I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous. I don't, I don't envy. I don't... Da, 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 da. Listen, when it exists, confusion and every evil thing has an open door. We don't envy one another. We enjoy one another. We rejoice with each other. If somebody gets a blessing in our local church, we rejoice with them. If one of you wins the lottery, I rejoice with you. Because I'll be expecting a great tithe check coming through there. I'll, I, I, I'll, listen, I hope you get promoted. I hope God opens doors for you. I rejoice with you. If good things happen to you, I don't envy you. I rejoice with you. Listen to me. If in our city a church begins to grow and God begins to do a work and people are being one to the Lord and, and, and their name is being famous, let's not envy it. Let's rejoice in it. Because when God sends revival to this city, there won't be a seat to be found in any church. And that's our job. 
is to be praying for this outpouring that will cause us to be one so the mandate that we say we're committed to will take place that the world will know and believe. If that really is the mandate, if that really is our heart, if that really is the purpose of God, then hear me, it will not be fulfilled by our own cleverness or our own program. It will be fulfilled when we step into the template Jesus prayed for, that they be one. That they be one. And, it will, and I'll tell you why it's hard for us, because we think that if we aren't doing something, if we aren't creating something, if we don't have enough programs spinning, if we don't have enough activity happening, if we aren't doing what everyone else is doing, then somehow we aren't being the church we need to be, and that is hogwash. Listen to me right now. If all we do is we pray and the glory of God comes on Tuesday... And we have opportunity on Thursday to get people whole and well and, and see the full effects of the cross come to pass in their life. And then we gather on Sundays to worship as we're commanded to and to be taught out of the apostles' doctrine. If we're, if we're doing nothing more than that, then I'm here to tell you out of the simplicity of just that, God can do a mighty thing. So when a brother... Or a brother church succeeds, we rejoice. We are cheerleaders in the city. We are cheerleaders, not cherry pickers. Our heart and ability to be one determines whether we will confuse or conquer our cities. Remember James? For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Listen, this is not only works in a local body, this works in a city arrangement. If there, if there are pastors in churches that are envious and self-seeking, confusion and every evil thing are there. Our heart to be one determines whether we will confuse or whether we will conquer our cities. Because right now the world is pretty confused. It looks at the church... And it just shakes its head. We, a lot of times, we're the laughing stock of the world. And you know why? It's because we never understood the power of one. We've never become one. I'm not saying, again, we're not, we're not all going to disband our churches and burn our legal documents and we're all going to join up. No, that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying there has to be a spirit that invades my people that causes them to be at peace, to be one, because they are one. Are you following me? mosaic i'm speaking into your heart right now and i'm wanting you to get a hold of this and, and for you it starts probably in this room you got to love the people that are in this room you got to be for the people that are in this room it's got to start here and if it starts here it'll begin it'll begin to splash over and go absolutely everywhere and i suspect there are other churches that want to do the same thing and we will find them and somehow or another we will fellowship because i'm convinced that god wants to bring a move of god to the city and i want to participate in it but it's got to start with you and me right where you're seated right there just stay seated for a minute but close your eyes with me for just a moment and i want to ask this question is your heart at peace with your brothers can you can you say to yourself i truly rejoice and i'm not envious of a brother or a sister if god does something good in their life can you say that is your brother or sister are they a bother to you or are they a part of you have you become too good at attacking and forgot that you need to start attaching. Think about that. Are you, are you competing or are you completing? Come on, don't lis listen to me as I'm teaching it, but begin to let God begin to speak it into your heart. Because these are the, these are the points that we have to repent of and change in for God to be able to move 
in such a way that the world might know and believe. Hallelujah. Father, I'm praying right now for every person in this room. Lord, I believe with all of my heart that we're to be a first fruit. Something just dropped on me. There's not a great number. I mean, I, I'm glad. Our, it looks like church is growing here, and so I rejoice at that. And I know we have people sick and out and down the road. But I want to ask you a question. Have you, have you learned, tried to learn the names of people in this room? Or do you know two or three names, and that's just all you think you need to know? Or have you even tried to reach out and learn some names? I want to talk to the legacy those that have been with me, have you, have you learned any names from Abundant Life, the folks that have come with Pastor Fred and Jan? Have you learned their names? I hope you'd have. I don't know. But when you see them, you can hug them and you know them by name. Or have you just kept your same friends and you just haven't worried about it? That's Pastor Fred and Kevin's deal there. I'm just going to do my deal. Isn't that sad that a brother or a sister walks in here and their family and you don't know their name? I'm terrible at names. And, and, and just that dropping right there, I'm convicted. I, I got to get names. They're my brother. They're my sister. But I'm an equal opportunity offender. So how about ALC folk? Hey, have you learned some names too? I hope you are. We got, we, we got to know one another. We're going to spend eternity with each other. <laughs> Be terrible to walk into heaven and see each other's face and go, what was your name? How about it starts there? We just learn names. And we can pray for them by name. And I know it may be embarrassing at first, but how about if we just take, let's just take the rest of this month. We'll call, we'll call this Grace Month. And that way you can ask somebody their name again and nobody will be offended. And why don't you just ask their name? Remind me again, I'm sorry, I should have remembered it the first time, but it's Grace Month, so I'm going to get this down. I'm going to have to do that. To be one. Father, I pray that that becomes really serious to us. That this is real. This isn't just, I checked my box off. I came to church, I checked my box off, and now I can go do my week. But that, Lord, we are in community. We are the church. These are brothers and sisters. We are in one accord. We have one heart, one mind. And we are on a kingdom mandate to win our region. So, Lord, let us take this seriously, I pray. Hey, Brad, you got you, you and Anna ready? Hey, why don't you guys jump up here on the stage? Everybody stand. We're going to sing. I like to sing now at the end. Everybody stand with me, and why don't you pull out whatever song fits. I like that last one, but whatever one you want to you wanna do. Let's stand for a moment. And as we're standing, and, and just keep your eyes closed because I'm going to ask you to do something right now. And, and I don't want you spying on everybody in the room. So I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a minute. Because my eyes are going to be open, but no one else's eyes are going to be open. And this is what I want to ask. How many today did the Holy Spirit speak to and he said to you, you need to do a better job in some of these areas with your brother and your sister. You need to be one. And you're willing to say, that's me, Lord, work on me, work on me. Just put it up there and wave it at me. Wave it at me. Yeah, man. See? Listen, you can put them down. Thank you for doing that. Because I, I was waving my hand. God, do a sanctifying work in us to make us uncommon. Sanctify us by thy truth. Thy word is truth. We're in this for Jesus, not for our tribe. As important as it is in the mosaic, we're in this, Lord, for you. Our relationships with you. So, Lord, I'm praying right now that those that were honest enough to say, man, Holy Spirit, you spoke to my heart. I need to do a better job at this. That, Lord, help them. Just help me. That we might press into this. And I'm sure we'll be inept. I'm sure we'll stumble, bumble around a little bit. But 
there's something that tells me, Lord, that you'll assist the people that are at least willing to give it a, a shot, a chance, that they're sincere and they're genuine. There's something in my heart that says that kind of people you could open up the windows of heaven upon and pour something out that would absolutely be amazing. So, Lord, we love you. We're going to sing to you. Now establish this in our hearts, I pray. There was a lot that I shared. Not all of it's head-standing, shouting material, but all of it's important. And so, Lord, work it in our hearts. Establish it. Nail it down. So that when we say the final yes and amen, Lord, we can go from this place and do exactly that, I pray in Jesus' name. You ready, Brad?